To this edition of the Life of Brian Mannix, that is podcast. With thanks to our very good friends at Mercots, that's mercots.edu.au. Give them a call on 1300 576. Been around since 1969. Very good people to deal with, and uh, they will make you a safer driver, which is a very, very good thing. Uh, and here is living proof that, uh, that it works. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Brian himself from the Life of Brian, Brian Mannix. Hello, mate. Hello, Kev. How are you going? I'm going well, and that's a very good place to start, Brian, because this mm. podcast is called The Life of Brian. So yes. we want to know how The Life of Brian is at the moment. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm going all right, um, as, as good as one can go. I was totalling up all of the walking I'd done uh, over the last week. I think I've walked something like 78 kilometres in a week, so that's not too bad. Sorry? Are you training for the Olympics? Mm. <laughs> No, no, I'm just um, just bored. So I do. I'm doing about uh, 12k a day. So it's sort of you know keeping me fit. And, okay, uh, so you're doing 12k a day. So you so you're fit. So you've, you're obviously going well with that. What about the the dietary? Uh, what, what are you fueling the body with to be able to do 12k a day plus everything else that you do? Uh, a couple of beers tends to help. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> While you're uh, walking, or you know, before or after. Uh, you know, sometimes um, generally after after the walking, um, but um, no, I've been I've been actually eating a lot of rubbish lately. Um, I've had a lot of pies, four and twenty pies, but with uh, with sauce. I'm sort of got a bit of a taste for that lately, and I've just been bunging them in the oven. And the best way to cook a pie is you get it in the oven and you just turn the oven on to 200 and then when the pie swells up and it looks like it's about to explode it's ready <laughs> when the st- when the uh, when the uh, the meat or gravy or it starts to seep out the sides of it and it gets that little bubble that's when yeah, it's ready that's ready you don't yep. need to and you'll never have it cold in the middle if you if you use that system it's a very good system <laughs> okay so the follow-up question to that is how is the skin on the roof of your mouth because there shouldn't be any there well, no, because you must let the pie rest. Cut it in half and let it rest, then put the sauce on and you're good to go. Oh, okay. There's a real technique here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been watching I've been watching all the cooking shows for years, so you know, when I dissect a pie, it's very precise. Well, that was the next question is what are you keeping yourself amused with in terms of, you know, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you what are you doing in uh, in ISO? Well, I've been watching a fair bit of footy um, and that's been a little bit depressing because Essendon's not going particularly well. Um, I don't think they'll make the finals. Um, Melbourne Storm are going very well. They should probably win it. I hope they do. Um, And, yeah, just watching whatever seems to come on. Um, I've been watching uh, Rockford Files at at 5.30 on um, Nine Gem. That's good. And... um, and I've been doing the millionaire hot seat quiz with my friend Daryl over the phone. So we sit there with uh, Eddie and we go, no, it's B, it's C, and we <laughs> see who wins for the week. So all, all stupid little things like that. Yeah, it's amazing what we've been doing to amuse ourselves. Uh, one thing that uh, would be good, once we get back out of uh, ISO right around the country and we start you know, jumping in our cars again, going to be some scary times on the road, so make sure you're equipped for it. Uh, go to mercots.edu.au, one three hundred triple five five seven six. All the COVID-19 uh, protocols, they're, they're all over all those, and also the other protocols you need 
need to know are the ones on the road and they know all about them. So please support them. They're a, they're a great bunch of people and they've been really good to us here on the Life of Brian podcast. So it's murcots.edu.au and 1300 Could be a thing you could do for your workers is uh, to put them through a, a re-education uh, course, a retraining course about their driving. Wouldn't do anybody any harm. Now, guest today on the program, Brian, we've got a beauty. We do have a beauty. Actually, He's we've a- got two. We've got two great guests, and they've both got gold. Yes. They do. They've yeah, both nice got connection. gold. Yes, they One's have. got a gold Logie and the other's got a gold medal. Yep. Um, yeah, this guy is probably – he's a brilliant actor. He's been in two of the most iconic and successful shows in Australian history, and I speak of Rafferty's Rules and, of course, Blue Healers. Yeah. And he's a wonderful guy. He also played Alan Bond in the um, – in the, uh, oh, I did too, yeah. Yeah, America's Cup thing. He's a wonderful guy, and I speak, of course, and he's a, he's a good singer too, as we'll discover. Um, John Woods. He's what a just champion. Done a book. Yeah, he's done a book. It's called uh, How I Clawed My Way to the Middle, as opposed to the book you've done, Brian, which, of course, is How I Slept My Way to the Bottom. Uh, <laughs> he's he's done this book. It's it's just come out. I'm going to talk to him about that and a whole lot of other things. But, of course, when you bring a book out, as you know, Brian, you spend a lot of time talking about yourself. Mm. So uh, I want to know if, uh, if uh, you know, poor old John had, had got sick of talking about himself. Well, let's find out. Oh, I've, I'm always tired of talking about myself, and... Uh, that's why it took me so long to get around to writing a book. Uh, you know, like I never ever really wanted to do it. And uh, I got cajoled into it by my agent. And uh, I've never done so much publicity in my life as I have for this book. It's extraordinary. This has been just like a tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the fact that I have to talk about myself so much, it's been fun. Well, as fellow uh, thespians, uh, rock idols, uh, you know, authors, uh, TV stars, and that, I'm sure you and Brian have, have much to talk about. I'm sure, yeah. indeed, yes. I've, uh, I've been well aware of Brian's influence for years. So you've got the book uh, coming out, John, and um, but I didn't realise you've, you've written a lot. You wrote uh, for Cop Shop and for Prisoner and episodes of Blue Healers and all sorts of shows. The first thing I ever wrote for television was an episode of uh, The Truckies, which probably nobody remembers anymore, but it was uh, a series we did for the ABC after we finished Power of Our Glory. I did a lot of work for uh, the ABC drama department in Melbourne, which, of course, no longer exists. It was sort of golden days of television, really. and I I wrote an episode of the, The Truckies, which was based on a on a true experience that I'd had in my life as a teenager when I used to, you know, attend seances and things like that, Ooh. which I found very spooky and uh, yeah. and too close to the bone, and I gave it away. But, but I wrote this episode of The Truckies based on an experience that I'd had at a seance. And, uh, yeah, that was great fun. And uh, the next thing I wrote was an episode of Rafferty's Rules. That was a great show. Yeah, it was... Yes, I think it was one of the most uh, groundbreaking shows we ever did in Australia. I think it, uh, it, you know, without Rafferty's, I don't think shows like Sea Change would have happened. You know, Sea Change was exactly the reverse. You know, instead of the magistrate coming down from the country to the city, the magistrate went from the city to the country and... uh, and she was better looking than I was as well. So. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think. <laughs> the cast of Rafferty's was, I think, a much underrated uh, array of acting talent. Yes, it was. I, I, you know, we, uh, 
we were all theatre actors, and the three of us, myself, Simon Chilvers and Kate Wilkin, had all worked together at the Melbourne Theatre Company. Simon was originally from Sydney, and he, he went back there, and Kate was from New Zealand, and she's now gone back to New Zealand, and Archie right. was uh, from St Albans, yes. you know, like uh, a <laughs> uh, Greek Cypriot family, and uh, <laughs> he was just... He was as funny as I can't. I can't describe how funny he was. Yeah. He was one of the funniest people I've ever met. Yeah. What inspired you to become an actor, John? I have no idea. <laughs> what inspired you to become a musician? I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, I always wanted to do it, and I don't know what the inspirations were. I I remember being taken, I think, to the Tivoli to see a big show at the Tivoli, and I. I'd been a Boy Scout and I'd gone to the gang show once and I'd been very impressed with that. <laughs> and I saw one of my neighbours perform in a play, which was probably revelatory in, in the sense that um, he was a tank maker, you know, uh, water tanks. They made galvanised water tanks in the factory next door to our front yard. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, Johnny Taylor turned up on stage at Croydon Town Hall in, <laughs> in I think, the, the one day of the year, oh. playing the, the son, the, the disaffected son in the one day of the year, which, uh, you know, was absolutely a revelation. And, uh, but look, I, I don't know how much that influenced my wanting to do it, but um, I just always, you know, from the moment I was at secondary school, we were given the opportunity to do... You know, you used to get a book of one-act plays back in those days, and uh, the teacher had the bright idea of making us do one of the plays. And in order to do that, we had to read all of them, which normally most of the, most of us at a tech school, and most me and most of the other kids were not interested in anything to do with uh, <laughs> English or, or anything associated yeah. with English. I managed to talk another 11 guys the cast of 12 in this play that the teacher didn't want us to tackle but I, you know that was red rag to a bull for me and uh, I directed it and uh, was in it as well and we got the highest marks that any of us ever got probably at uh, at Ringwood Tech and formed a drama group and uh, the rest is history because wow. ironically the wow. reason that Brian got into music was because he couldn't get into film school yes <laughs> that's right I tried to get into um, Swinburne Film and Television School um, after I'd done HSC, and in those days, they'd only take about 12, 14 people. Yeah. So I didn't get in. And um, so I had a year to kill before I could try again. And during the year, um, my band sort of kicked off. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll go down Rock and Roll Street rather than down Film Directing Street. So, yeah, well, that was, you know, probably a. a a fairly good choice at the time because, uh, you know, if you had anything that you wanted to say, and I'm all, I, I've always believed this, you know, if you had anything to say in the uh, 60s, which is when I was growing up, you were a little bit behind me, I think, but, um, you know, it was through rock and roll, Bob Dylan and the Beatles and the Stones, if they had, you know, they, they could get messages across and uh, rock and roll was the way to do it. And, uh, you know, these days, of course, it's probably television, although... You know, because there's no drama departments anymore. Uh, who knows? Who knows where we're going to go to get ideas across to other people? Do you prefer television or theatre? I don't mind anymore. I used to, when I was young and uh, more arrogant than I am now, <laughs> I um, I used to prefer theatre. You know, because television was 
you know, to meet my dignity. But um, <laughs> I, I, the first job I ever did was a TV, an episode of a TV show called Barrier Reef. And I ended up spending half my career on television, you know, like it was totally accidental. I had no desire to be on television. And uh, and I've always felt more at home, more more in my own reality working on stage. But I've learned to love television. Yeah, I reckon um, the best episode of Blue Healers was um, season three, episode three, uh, John, because um, I was in that one. <laughs> oh, is that right? Do you remember what the what? story was about? Oh, uh, I have no idea. I, I didn't have much to do with you. You, I think you were in one scene. Walk, and I was standing in the background of one scene with yours, mainly with Grant uh, Bowler and Martin Sachs. And, um, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And me and my brother, had, I, I smashed somebody's windscreen at the start, and then me and my brother had robbed a bank, and I was a carpet layer that, and we took your layer gone bad, Brian. Carpet <laughs> layer gone bad, ripping off the doll. And, um, but as you say, though, when I went on that show, because I did Neighbours too, and that was a whole horrible experience. But on Blue Healers, you're right. Everybody was really, really welcoming, and it was like all of the regular cast realised that well, we need the guest stars to be good too, because it's a, it's a whole thing. And I was well, really that's right. Yes, I've always believed that. And I, I had uh, similar horrible experiences to you in the early days of uh, homicide and things like that, you know, where oh. you're just a, you were just a shit kicker, you know. And, uh, yeah. you know, it was but, all about the, the big stars in the show. But we, we really did make an effort to make, uh, to include everybody, you know. Yeah, you uh, did. And it, and it really showed. It was an absolute pleasure to be on that show. And, um, oh, good. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah. No, thank you for that. But I remember uh, when I, Blue Healers auditions were happening and uh, and I thought, this has got to be a character that's been written for me because I grew up in Croydon and the character's name was Croydon and <laughs> my yeah. father's name was Tom, my father-in-law's name was Tom, my grandfather's name was Tom. I thought, this is, it's got to be written for me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it wasn't at all. And uh, the head of programming, Glenn Kinging for Channel 7, actually thought I wouldn't work as the character because the audience wouldn't believe me as a police sergeant. They would they would still think of me as a magistrate. And I thought, well, it's just acting. You know, I've got to, you know, all I've got to do is be, be, become the character. And uh, and as it turned out, I was right and he was wrong. Yeah. But um, he, he had massive influence at the time and uh, I nearly didn't get it because the audience wouldn't believe me as a copper. And you went and visited some local coppers to get a kind of feel for what being a being a sort of a, a suburban copper beyond the jump was about. Yes, I went out. I I, I was uh, even back then. I was living in the Yarra Valley, and I went out to uh, Warburton and Yarra Glen and Healesville to have a talk to the local sergeants. You know, to find out what living in a small town, which. Mount Thomas was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a small country town, but yeah. ended up becoming the crime capital of the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I, I went out and visited a few people. I was a couple of sergeants, and uh, the sergeant of Healesville had, a, you know, a very comfortable uh, little office, you know, uh, that had calfskin rugs on the floor and uh, impressionist paintings on the walls. And I thought, gee, this is. This is unlike, you know, what I thought a police station would be like. And he uh, was of the opinion that if anybody came into his office, they were 
more than likely a local in a bit of trouble, not a criminal, you know. So that was how I thought, uh, you know, I'd like Tom to be. And if you remember when the show started, there'd been a a lot of uh, police shootings and the Victoria police were not very popular at at the time the show started. But by the time we'd gotten into it, everybody loved Lisa and, uh, Mm. And Bill and all the other people in the show, and it was, you know, I, th- I think we had a, a very good and positive influence on the on the Victoria Police at the time. Not many people would know, or not everybody would know, but you've got a really great singing voice, John. Oh, I don't know that it's that good, but <laughs> I think it's good. I, I saw you in um, King of Country years ago with oh, uh, Wayne Pye. Yeah, Wayne Pye was in it, and he stayed at my house while he was rehearsing. Right, yeah, yeah. I got me a ticket and I went along and see it. And it was a great show. It was really good. And I I was really amazed. I'd never heard you sing. And you've got a wonderful voice. Oh, thank you. I I actually enjoy singing. And, uh, you know, I've never been wildly confident. I remember when I was at state school, I I just, I dreamed of being in the school choir, you know. I always dreamed of being a big kid, you know. And I'd hear the sixth graders singing the bells of St Mary's, and I thought, oh, I want to do that. And uh, and eventually, I got into the school choir, but uh, I was so unconfident. Uh, I remember we were doing harmonies, and I was singing desk camp, and uh, the teacher said, "Somebody in the desk camp section is hitting the wrong note," and I immediately <laughs> assumed it was me. I don't think it was, but it, it you know I immediately assumed it was me and retired from the choir. More from John Wood shortly, including, Brian, you and he both appearing on Dancing with the Stars. We'll, uh, we'll discover uh, the connection there between uh, between you two uh, with uh, the second part of John Wood. And still to come, of course, the other uh, Australian that we mentioned uh, with gold uh, is a great friend of yours uh, from, uh, from another um, uh, reality show that you did, uh, and it's the one and only Dawn Fraser who's coming up a little later on. And she also did Dancing with the Stars as well. So everybody go. on the show except yourself, Kev, has done Dancing with the Stars. There's a bloody good reason why I haven't done it, Brian. because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a star and B, because I cannot dance at all. Uh, but uh, Dawn Fraser's coming up a little later on. And a, a little added bonus, uh, the day that we spoke to Dawn uh, was a birthday. Yes. So we'll, we'll discover what, uh, what, how, how old Dawny Fraser's is going uh, a little later on in, uh, right. in the podcast with thanks to Murcotts. That's murcotts.edu.au, one three hundred triple five five seven six. Get some driver retraining happening. Uh, get your skills back up to, uh, up to where they should be if you've been spending not much time behind the wheel of your car. Might be uh, the exact time to do it. Now, Brian. Mm. What's got you annoyed? What's got up your nose? What uh, in isolation in your seventy-eight k's per day? What have you been thinking about? Well, um, I've been watching America quite quite a lot lately, and um, I, I'm not sure I understand this thing where you go out and rob a store and then burn it down to show how compassionate you are. But anyway, that's what they seem to be doing. Okay. But I'm, in particular, I'm um, a bit a bit perplexed by the Democrats. Um, but the, the election's coming up and the Democrats don't seem to have any policies except we hate Trump and get rid of Trump, which is probably fair enough, you know, yep. you're allowed to have, that's your only policy, you know, it's nothing to do with the economy or anything, just get rid of Trump, okay, fair enough. But I do have a problem with Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden is 77 
Um, he looks like he's been dead for a couple of weeks already. Oh, um, he No, he does. He looks like he's dead. He looks like he's starting to smell. And he's had so much Botox in his face that absolutely nothing moves, not a thing. And... You know, he's 77. He's going to be 78 if he becomes to, to be the president elect if he wins. And I just heard this, I just grabbed this piece of a speech that he made the other day about the COVID virus. And I think this is, this is quite, um, well, it's interesting. He says, COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak has taken more than 100 year. Look, here's the lives. It's just when you think about it, well, that really sums up the situation, doesn't it? All I can say is Democrats and Joe Biden. What the hell are you trying to prove? American politics. I mean, politics is a is a funny business all over the world. But geez, American politics is a is a sideshow and a circus on its own, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. It's look, one ridiculous. of the things I have enjoyed about Trump is that he I've never been more interested in American politics in my life because you just sort of want to see what's he going to say next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it is. It's, uh, it's the uh, the gift that keeps on giving for all the, uh, all the satirists all over the world, I must admit. All right, let's get back to our guest. Uh, he's got a book out called How I Clawed My Way to the Middle. Uh, but uh, part of clawing his way to the middle, of course, was appearing in the very same show that, uh, that you did, Brian. So let's... Uh, let's Let's talk to our guest, John Wood, about that. Hey, another uh, another uh, sort of uh, crossover that you two have is that you both have done Dancing with the Stars. Uh, what, what were your uh-huh. what are your memories of your experience? You did the very first year, I think, John. I did, yes, and I loved it. I um, I sort of, you know, I I did it mainly because I thought, well, it's a challenge. You know, somebody of my with my age and overweightness would be a real challenge to do. And I was, I was doing Blue Healers at the time. And I I remember uh, Jenny Pedersen and I would uh, rehearse in the foyer at Dorcas Street, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, me in my police uniform and she in her uh, dancing exercise clothes. And we'd uh, dance, you know, do tangos and waltzes up and down <laughs> the foyer at Dorcas Street. It was a wonderful experience. And... Uh, um, and we went fairly far. I mean, uh, you know, we I think we came second or third, but uh, wow, it was great. Yeah. I was absolute, absolute rubbish at the Foxtrot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the quick step. One, the quick step. Oh, oh no, God. The quick yeah. step's a rotten day. I really enjoyed the tango, yeah. Yeah, I got I wasn't head. that great at the samba either, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I went all right at the Foxtrot. I liked the cha-cha. Went really bad at the rumba and the samba, and um, but it's a really great experience. And my partner, she represented Australia in ballroom dancing, so it's sort of like imagine getting Whitney Ponting to teach you how to play cricket. It was just yeah, fan- yeah, it's, it's fantastic, yeah. and it's such lovely people. And on that show, unlike a lot of other reality shows, they actually want you to be good. They don't want you to cry and abuse somebody. They just want you to dance <laughs> as well as you can. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, it was really wonderful. The the end of Blue Healers wasn't handled terribly well, was it, uh, in terms of the way the network handled it? I thought it was quite badly handled at the time because the producers and directors knew that it was coming to an end and they, they wanted to write enough episodes to tie up all the storylines and to finish it in a way that people would remember it with nice feelings. Yeah. And... Uh, the network just decided to finish it. I remember I was uh, 
we, we were on our end of year break, and uh, we did 43 episodes a year. A year. And uh, I was in Coonawarra with um, a couple of the uh, Southern Star producers, Errol Sullivan and Neil Belnay. We got the phone call while we were there saying that they decided to cancel it and not give us the extra episodes. And, uh, and it was finished in a very, you know, like it was awful way it finished. But as I say, you know, like it's their prerogative and it was their money and they, they had the right to do with it what they would. But the, the reason that it finished was, uh, you know, this is my understanding of it, um, they paid so much money for the football rights, the AFL rights, they yeah. paid $790 million for two years of AFL rights. Um, but for that amount of money, they could have done Blue Heelers for 75 years. Yes, yes. <laughs> Something had to go, and it was either between us or All Saints, and All Saints was a Channel 7 show, and we were a Southern Star show, so night. John, your vocational guidance officer when you were at school said you had the mind of an artist and the body of a labourer. What would you? What would the description be these days? <laughs> The mind of an artist and a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I I was quite shocked, you know, to be told that. But uh, at least at least I had the mind of an artist, you yes. know. But uh, and that gave me hope for a moment until he handed me the slip. Offering me a job as a Bricky's labourer. <laughs> uh, the uh, the book obviously has been uh, been well received all around the place by everybody. Apparently, yes. I, I haven't seen a lot of reviews, but um, everybody that I've spoken to has read it. Uh, really enjoyed it. So. Yeah, no, I've seen a lot of reviews, and uh, all the reviews are very, very, uh, very, very positive. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, great. And is there yeah. any is there anyone that you won't be able to have dinner with on the back of what you've written about them in the book? Uh, <laughs> Probably a couple. A couple but, of uh, network executives, for instance. That <laughs> yeah, but I've had dinner with him. And, uh, <laughs> you was, don't want to go again. <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> I met his wife, who was really nice. She, she was a very nice woman. And I remember I, came, I was doing uh, My Fair Lady for Opera Australia, playing uh, yet another singing role. I played yeah. Doolittle in that. And uh, I came out after a matinee and... Uh, Sky Lecky was there and she just came up and said, look, I just wanted to tell you how great I thought you were. I know you and my husband have difficulties and I thought, I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I had difficulties, but apparently I did. I saw in one article that I, I read about you of recent times, I might have been the lunch article you did for, I think, the the, the, the Age newspaper, where you're working on a, a script for a sitcom for a uh, a retirement village for old actors. Yes, I've got. Uh, I've had this idea kicking around in my head for something like twenty odd years, oh, maybe wow. even longer. Um, and I started fiddling with it, and uh, I've been working on it a bit with a, an old mate of mine named Lyndon Wilkinson, whom I did a TV series with many years ago called Dearest Enemy. She's a very clever, a clever woman, and a great writer and uh, and she's better at structure than I am. I'm absolutely hopeless with structure. I can write dialogue but I can't write, I can't do structure too well. But anyway um, I, you know, I can't say too much because it's it's still in very early days. Just, but, um, just asking on behalf of a friend, is there a role in there at all for a middle-aged rock star stroke actor stroke uh, <laughs> author? <laughs> it's, it's sitting in a retirement village, you know, like I don't 
I no longer consider myself middle-aged. I'm 74 now, so... Wow. Hmm. You look in good nick. Really good nick. Well, apart from the rheumatoid arthritis, yeah, I'm not too bad. Yeah, I was going to say the arthritis is a problem. Apart from that, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. I um, think that I reckon that's got a lot of potential. I hope you get that off the ground. It sounds great. Well, I hope so because there's a lot of people my age and older who are not getting much work anymore. And I, you know, I, I love the way the English look after their aging actors. You know, they're always in. They're always getting roles in uh, good TV series like you know that. Um, Last Tango in Halifax and uh, and Judy Dench and Bill Nye in those you know Hotel India things they, you know that they really take care of their ancient actors and uh, treat them with respect. Yes, they do. Here, once you once you get over fifty and over thirty for women, you you know your history really. At twenty one, okay, he's probably a good carpenter, but he's probably going to be a lot better carpenter when he's forty five. Exactly, yeah. And I think the same goes for acting and music and things. You know, you just keep getting better at the job. Well, uh, yes, I reckon you do, yeah. And it's a a shame that there's sort of an age feeling of it. Yeah, I have to admit that the body body won't keep up with the brain anymore, but, um, yeah, but you're absolutely right. Hey, John, uh, we've got to let you go, but I want to ask you, uh, I mean, the book is fantastic and uh, really, really pleased that you've, you've... Put down in writing what you what you've achieved, and certainly you're well above the middle. Um, where's the gold logie? Yeah, uh, it's over there on a bookshelf. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it's I, I use them as you know, there's half a dozen of them, and uh, I use them as bookends really in the in the library. They're uh, they're very good at the end of rows that uh, aren't finished because they've got a bit of weight in them. And, uh, you know, people used to joke that they used them as door stops in the toilet and stuff like that. But uh, they're not on display as such, but they're not hidden. You know, if you, if you need to see them, you can. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and they're well, yeah. des- well deserved and uh, a, a, a sensational career and, and plenty more to come. Yeah. Well, I hope so. Yeah, bloody hope. <laughs> certainly not. I mean, COVID has uh, hit us a bit hard, but um, I'm certainly not planning to stop. Although, you know, I did have moments where I thought, God, if David Williamson's going to give it away, maybe I should too. No, no, don't do that. We want to hear you singing again. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, maybe one day we'll do a duet. (laughs) That'd be wonderful. Uh, sensational catch up with John Wood Check the book out It's called How I Clawed My Way to the Middle John Wood And hopefully we'll be seeing him uh, on stage uh, again uh, soon uh, But for the moment uh, Whiling his way uh, Whiling his time away at, uh, in the Arrow Valley And uh, enjoying that We thank him uh, for his time Right, O'Brien Can mm. you remember the, v- the very beginnings of the Uncanny X-Men? Uh, yes Yes, I can indeed Um what, what are you referring to? We're about Anything? to share the beginnings of the Uncanny oh, X-Men with you. Because right. we, we talked about... Now, one thing I've got to explain. There's no such thing now as an unsigned band, really, or an unsigned act. Everyone is almost self-publishing on the internet. Yeah. So you don't do what you did in your traditional time, is that you went around, did a few gigs, got you know had the band together, got a couple of songs together, did a little demo, sent it to uh, to all sorts of different record companies, and one of them sent you a letter back saying, yeah, we'd be interested, or they came to your gig or whatever, and that's yep. how the process was. Yep. The process is different now. Everyone puts it out there, and then it's scouted like that. So the, the internet's become like uh, the pub circuit. Yeah, it has a bit. 
Yeah. So we don't have a pub circuit as such. We don't really have unsigned bands. So we're, we're kind of going through some tapes that we've been sent, and we'll, we'll get to those in the coming weeks in the, in the program. But I wanted to go back to uh, the process that you went through, um, and one of the songs that we're, we're, fortunately we've got um, <laughs> is a thing that you did, which was I think one of the two songs you, you sent out called Bloody Dickheads. Yeah, we were going to make an um, uh, independent single. And, um, oh, you're we going to co- self-publish. We were going to self-publish, but yeah. um, we never got round to it. Um, but we recorded the Sullivans, the punk rock version of the Sullivans on one side, and the other side was this song, which was written, well, the bass player said one day at rehearsal, said, we should have a song called Bloody Dickheads, and we thought that was a great idea. And then the next rehearsal, Ronnie Gonzo had just come up and he'd written this song called Bloody Dickheads. Right. Which, it's pretty punk rock, it's great. Oh, very and, punk um, rock. Yeah, well, we were a punk rock band, and... Um, and I think this song is just hilarious. It's um, any song that's got a lyric like, you walk around town like your head's an empty bone. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Only Ronnie Gonzo could think of a line like that. I still enjoy this song to this day and I think, um, you know, I, I'm always encouraging the X-Men to look back where we started and, you know, head back that way a little bit because, um, you know, we sort of became a, a pop band. But um, when we started, we were definitely a punk rock band. Now, you, uh, Ronnie sings this one, doesn't he? He does indeed. Yes, right. he does. He used to sing He used to sing probably about three songs in a set when we first started. He'd do, yeah. you know, one, two or three songs. And then as we went on, he sang less and less. But um, he does a pretty good job of this, I reckon. All right. Let's have a listen. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, in all its glory. Uncanny X-Men, bloody dickheads. You're right. 
Rock on. Yeah, well, you did. You really changed, didn't you, from from that uh, to what you became? Well, I was I was still playing guitar in the band at that point. Oh, so, um, wow. There you go. Yeah, so there was just a four-piece. It was me, Ron, Fudd and Nick. Um, and so, yeah, I was very much the rhythm guitarist of the band. And, okay. um, of course, later on they told me to stop playing guitar and we got Chuck in to replace me. But, um, no, I, I really like that version of the band. And I always say that we should have put out a, an album before Cos Life Hurts of those songs that we had back then. And um, when I talk to the guys, I often talk to them about if we do an album, let's do a prequel to Cos Life Hurts. Because there's so many songs that we did in those early days that never got recorded. Okay. And a lot of them are really, really good and they're all rocking as hell. So anyway, that's up for the future. Yep. And we want to hear your song. So if you've got a song, uh, get in touch with us through the Facebook page. Uh, or a sex have... tape, Kev. Or a sex tape. <laughs> oh, well, um, all right. One of those did come in. Yes, it did. Mm. Are we going to put that in the show, Kev? Uh, well, we can have a listen to it now if you like. All right, so a little bit. This is yeah. from, who's it from Hans and Frieda from Handorf? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no names, no uh, names. Uh, names. Uh, you know that. Uh, 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 Well, he's Hans and Frieda enjoying a oh, bit of one-on-one. Oh, look at this rusty, the wonder dog. Um, oh, yeah, so so please don't send us any more of those. Uh, oh, no, they're, they're great. Send them all in. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't need any more of those. We need your music oh. tape. And remember, we've set the bar. The bar is set of bloody dickheads. Okay, we barred so, up. We're yeah, right. So, so the bar's pretty high. So it needs to be <laughs> needs to be up to that standard. Now, let's get to the uh, very important thing of introducing our next guest because, uh, so lady, you had uh, a bit to do with back in the early two thousands. Yeah, she's a bonza bird from Belmain. Who's uh, um, and even if she'd never won a gold medal, she'd still be a legend. And she's just a great human being, a great Australian with a golden soul. Yeah, oh. mate, how are you? Good, thanks, Joan. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Happy birthday. <laughs> oh, thanks, darling. Thank you. Yeah. Kevin just informed me that today's your birthday, so um, we're very fortunate to get you on your birthday and many happy returns of this day. Oh, thank you very much, my love. Apparently, that'll right. be, apparently doing that's going to be a new Australian tradition. Whenever ever anyone turns 83, Brian Mannix is going to phone them. That's it. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> good. Uh, how have you been? Brian, I've been very, very good, thank you. That's good. COVID-19's not wrecking your life too much? No, it's just making me a little bit depressed sometimes, but I uh, I get over it. You know, I think it's better to um, do the gardening and stay at home and stay away from everyone and things like that because I don't want to catch it. It might ruin your birthday, so you should keep <laughs> in the garden there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I first met um, I first met you, I think, in Alice Springs for um, some Olympics for the older people. Uh, Masters Games. That's what it was, yes. And um, me and Molly came up for that, and you were there, and um, we had a good night there. And then, of we course, did. we and then of course we uh, crossed paths in um, Celebrity Apprentice. And I got to say, that was so much fun hanging out with you and Dermy, and you know, we just had so much fun. We, we did. We had a great, a great friendship and a lot of fun we had, which was fantastic. <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the nights, um, I'd gone up to get something to eat and the girls said to me, Jeremy had gone back to Melbourne, and the girls said to me, look, meet us at Rock Lily at 9 o'clock. Anyway, I go and get something to eat. And then about 9.30, I'm heading up to Rock Lily, and the joint's going crazy. There's everybody cheering and going berserk. And I go, what the hell is going on in here? And I walk inside, 
here's Dawn up on the stage spinning the disc with the DJ and the whole joint's <laughs> jumping, going crazy. This <laughs> 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 the type of music I was playing, Brian. Oh, it was the last sort of music I expected you to be playing. And, <laughs> and then here's another one, Jeff. There's one night that Dawn stays up till four in the morning helping some bloke play. Um, what was it? What was the game you were playing? Was it pontoon? Pontoon, yes. Yeah. So Dawn's, Dawn's a gun at the pontoon. She's won 28 grand for this bloke, made six grand for herself. Gone to bed at four, has to be up at five to do hair and makeup for celebrity friends, and then works all day. What a chance. <laughs> yeah, but they, they were fun days. They were really good days. So oh, fantastic. They, were... they still are, and I was still enjoying my life doing sort of things like that, right? You know, I mean, that's what keeps yeah. me young. Well, you did the dancing with the stars as well. I did, and yeah. Did you like that? I did. I loved it. Um, I don't think one of the judges liked me, but uh, because I, you know, of my age and that's who I was, but uh, I think there was a bit of jealousy there. But that was fine. I, uh, I still keep in contact with my dance dance partner, and uh, you know, we're still, you know, very good friends. That's funny because I, I still keep in touch with my dance partner, and we're very good <laughs> friends. So, it's, um, yeah, it's a good one. It's really good. So, what? Where, where do we start? Okay. So you, you're from Scotland as well, or your parents? No. My my dad was from Embo in Scotland, right. and um, it's a little village about uh, four hundred and twenty people, and four hundred of belong to the Fraser clan. <laughs> wow, wow! Okay, yeah, so, right. So you're born in Belmain. Yeah, I was born in Belmain, and somehow some swimming teacher sees you swimming at the at the sea bar. Is that right? Well, what had actually happened was that um, because I was an asthmatic, but my first love was horses. And, uh, oh, you know, we couldn't afford my jodkers and, and, and a horse. We had nowhere to keep it because we were in a suburb. But we used to look after all the council horses at Jet in those days because, every, you know, it was um, horse and cart and stuff like that. Being an asthmatic, I, um, I just had to um, do a bit of swimming. And, you know, sort of um, my coach, who was uh, my cousin, was training me at the time. I got um, into it, and Mr. Gallagher came across the bars one day with, with his uh, kids, and um, he saw me swimming. I had a race with uh, John Henry at the time. We became very good friends and partners after that, and it was really, uh, really good fun. And I, you know, sort of came became a very good swimmer. Well, you sure did. Yeah, you only won three to win the same event at the Olympics three times, so um, that's a pretty good effort. From that, you know, I'm um, feeling in love with swimming and, and uh, decided all that. No, I was going to say, is swimming something you're still, uh, I mean, in love with or did you did you ever fall out of love with swimming? I, I did fall in love with swimming, yes. Yeah, I fell in love with it and I really enjoyed it. I just wanted to do it for my brother who passed away when he was 21 and that was something that he always wanted me to do was to swim and things like that. So it was good. So your first Olympics is Melbourne. 1956, 1956, yeah. How exciting was that to sort of go to your first Olympics and go, oh, here we are. And for, especially in my own country was uh, fantastic, yeah. you know, because it was uh, it was really um, personal. My mum and dad had seen me compete in a race. Uh, Sir Leslie Heron, uh, the Chief Justice of, um, of New South Wales, paid uh, tickets for mum and dad to see me swim. And the people of Belmain, uh, did some pub raffles and got their airfare down to Melbourne and uh, they lived at uh, Brunswick and 
stayed with some people in a caravan and uh, I didn't know that they were there until the final night of my races. Then the starter came out and he said, hey, Dorney, you better go over and see uh, those people are sitting over there in the, on the, uh, the last leg of the, the race. And I looked up and I saw mum and dad sitting in the stand. I couldn't oh, believe it. Oh, so wow. I raced over. That was really <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. So you had your own cheer squad there. So that's I did, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was there parties after the Olympics or anything? Or was it all just sort of do the job and get out of there? Or No, no parties until we sort of got back to Adelaide, you know, because we were right. with an Australian team and we had to all get, uh, depart from Melbourne and go back to our, our state. Um, the people of Adelaide sort of, well, I lived at the city bars in the city and... Um, the governor of South Australia, Robert Lady George, gave me afternoon tea and it was really lovely at the government house. And, uh, a few of my friends gave me, because uh, I didn't I didn't drink in those days because I was too interested in my swimming. Right, fair enough. So you go to Rome. How is, how is, what's the difference between going to Rome and doing the Melbourne Olympics? Is it exciting going well, overseas or...? Oh, yeah, it was exciting. You know, sort of, uh, we travelled, the whole Australian team travelled together in, in a Qantas plane uh, that was... Um, and that was really fantastic. The only thing was that all the officials got first class and all the athletes got uh, oh, down in the economy. <laughs> Thank God times have changed now. You know, it's sort of nice to be able to fly business class. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the athletes. <laughs> they should have all the good seats and the, you know, the administrators should be up the back. That's well, well, especially our basketballers, you know, they're all yeah. over seven foot something and they fell asleep in these tiny little chairs. That was a bit hard, but on the way over to Rome, our plane, one of our engines uh, broke down and we got caught in um, in Bahrain at the time and uh, we had a sort of um, uh, nearly a 20-hour stop over there until another engine was thrown up from Sydney. Oh, gee. And that, and that was interesting. Yeah, 20 hours in Bahrain. Uh, I don't know what you do to fill the time in Bahrain. <laughs> well, we didn't do much. We were all, uh, uh, we only stayed at the airport because uh, we weren't allowed to go anywhere, you know. It oh. was uh, t- too dangerous. And you can't even go to the bar. Oh, no. <laughs> so you've gone over to Rome. You've kicked the butt again, just won the 100-metre freestyle again. You must be yeah. feeling pretty good about yourself. I was. I was feeling pretty good. You know, sort of... Um, it was you know, a really nice uh, time. I had a chance to get around and, and see a bit of Rome, and I got to meet the Pope and things like that, which was very lovely. And uh, uh, is that Pope you know, Paul the Sixth? Uh, I can't remember who it now. Oh, well, not many of us get to meet the Pope. That's pretty good. So, did the Pope uh, call you Dorney? Yes, yes. Very <laughs> good. He didn't. He didn't call you Joe. No, no. You, you're the only one that calls me Jones. <laughs> I guess they kept. When I first started hanging around with Dawn in Sydney, she got the same sort of hairdo as my next door neighbour, Joan. Yeah. And I just yeah. accidentally kept calling her Joan all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the week, Doomy's calling her Joan. I felt bad about it. <laughs> accidentally, just, I'm conscious of saying, hey, Joan. <laughs> the dog's not happy about it either. <laughs> so Tokyo, let's go to Tokyo '64, which was the, the the third and final of your Olympics, and uh, again another another tumultuous experience for you. Sorry, 1964 was uh, Tokyo. It was a yeah. uh, sort of a bit of a sad time for me because my mum was killed in a car accident. That I was the driver of the car uh, in in March, and we're taking my sister home from the announcement of the team. Yeah, after the trials and. Uh, uh, we um, 
you know, sort of unfortunately had a car accident and uh, mum was killed and well, I had broke my neck and, uh, you know, I just sort of wasn't thinking about swimming in the in the Olympic Games. And it wasn't until Mr Gallagher, my coach, uh, gave me a very long talking to and got my mental attitude right and, and, and um, I, I sort of started training for it. So I went to Townsville and trained... Uh, with the team, but um, my my girls in my team were the ones that really survived me because there were only nine girls in the team in in, in Tokyo, and they um, and they really helped me along mentally and physically because uh, you know of my, my broken neck and stuff like that. Oh, your broken just, heart too! Um, I would have imagined, Dawn. Yeah, oh yeah, that was um, that was pretty devastating to get over, but. You know, Mr. Gallagher talked me into saying, you know, my mum would be very proud if I uh, if I tried out for the team, and yeah. uh, she, you know, she would be watching me. Both mum and dad would be watching what I was doing. So I put my mind around to it and um, sort of called on my my own spirits to uh, get me up and going in the training game. There's not many people that have won a gold medal with a broken neck, Dawn. No, <laughs> well, I, I wasn't allowed to dive in for you know quite a number of months, and the only diving I did was at the uh, at the Olympic Games. You know, my start, my startings yeah. were the only thing that I, I did, so that was um, that was quite good. I was quite happy with that. And of course, we've probably got to mention the flag, which <laughs> yeah, you the did, flag, <laughs> which you didn't you didn't take, and you won't tell us who did. But you want to just tell us about the flag? Well, I finished. Um, I, I was doing a film, and I was finished swimming, and I was staying at the Imperial Palace Hotel, uh, which is down the road from the Imperial Palace. And yep. uh, the hockey team had won uh, a bronze medallion, and my the, my producer said to me, "Why don't you invite the boys back for a drink, and I'll shout you all a drink." And I didn't have any more competition. I only had the closing the next day. So and I rang up Charlie Morris, and uh, he was the, the manager of the team. He said, yeah, I'll bring a couple of boys back. We'll have a drink with you, Fred. A couple of boys came back, and then the next minute, um, my producer was there, and he said, um, oh, maybe we might go and see if we a plane for you, Fred. And I said, all right, I'm coming too. Yeah. Unfortunately, we, uh, we got two flags, and uh, we got caught. Had, uh, <laughs> taken to the Marinucci police station, but um, it was um, the detectives said they didn't believe I was still in Fraser because we had no ID on us. We left that ID at the back of the hotel. Ow. And I rang my producer to bring my ID down and also my gold medal. And uh, then the detective sergeant uh, realised that it was me and he kept on saying to me before it, it arrived, oh, Don Perry says, you know, do this sort of thing. I'm saying, yes, you would. Yes, you would. <laughs> <laughs> ah, beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, they let me go. And the next morning, uh, well, you know, it was pretty late in the morning, um, the doctor of the team had to come in and strap my ankle because I heard it when I jumped down off the fence. And... Oh. Uh, uh, he he was strapping up. There was a knock on my door, and in came this policeman with a big box of flowers, and underneath it was a, a note from the emperor and the flag. Oh, wow! <laughs> 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 you got banned though for ten years. Is that was that because of the flag? No, it was because I um, marched in the opening ceremony against officialism, but uh, oh, they yeah. got that all mixed up, and I, I wore an unofficial swimsuit because my one didn't fit me. But I did right. wear it. I did wear the official one in in the final in the final league. 
Now, the, the 68 Olympics were in Mexico, yeah? Yep. So, yeah, and you went to the Olympics, but you didn't compete in them because you had the ban, and they lifted the yeah. ban just before the Olympics. Yeah, it's too late for you to train. Now, yeah, I only had about nine months to train. It wasn't going to help me out being out for three years. But when we went to um, we went to dinner with Jeff Bennett at the Belmain place, that place in Belmain, yeah. and there was some friend of yours there, and he was telling me that the girl that won the 100-metre uh, freestyle in Mexico, she did it in such and such a time, I forget what it was. And then the 60, next day... 60.3. Right, and the next day you got in the pool and did a hundred meters, and you hadn't trained, and you still beat it. <laughs> yeah, I did a sixty point one official. Oh wow! Yeah, so even without <laughs> training, you would have got a fourth gold medal in the same event. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> does that annoy? Does that annoy the hell out of you? No, it doesn't, because it it, it annoyed the hell out of the uh, officials that banned me. So it. That was a really a feather in my cap because every time I saw them, I, I said, see, you made Australia lose another gold medal and they really hated me. Oh, <laughs> beautifully done. That's, that's, the, that's the classic uh, back slap, isn't it, that one? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Fantastic. The wonderful and uh, and uh, birthday celebrating Dawn Fraser. How, how lovely to have a chat. Now there is more to that, and uh, her memories of the the Sydney 2000 Olympics, which happened 20 years ago this month. We're going to have wow. them in the next edition of uh, of the life of Brian Dawn, talking about uh, her memories of the you know that opening ceremony and all the things that happened uh, in Sydney uh, 20 years ago. Can you believe that's 20 years ago? It seems like it's only yesterday. I was sort of oh, watching that all the horses run out on the uh, opening ceremony and. Uh, I remember I was, I was really nervous about the opening ceremony because I thought, oh, we could stuff this up and that'll be really embarrassing. But um, fortunately, we didn't. We did a really great job with the opening ceremony. I thought it was terrific. I think we're all we all were kind of uh, flying by the seat of our pants about how it would look because we thought if it's cheesy and it's horrible, we're going to live with this for the rest of our, our days. But no, they yeah, did it did. well, and we'll talk to Dawn about that in the next edition of uh, Life of Brian. Don't forget, send us your uh, your music tapes. We'd love to uh, love to hear your songs, uh, and uh, you can do that through all the all the social media. Media platforms. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, our thanks uh, to Dawn, who you'll hear more of in the next episode, as I mentioned, and to John Wood. Colin Hay is going to be our guest on the next edition of uh, Life of Brian. Lives in uh, lives in LA these days, Brian, and uh, is a man with a with a bloody wonderful musical uh, career behind him. And probably uh, he's got a new song we're going to play in the in the next step too. That is a, an absolute ripper. It's a beauty. I love his new song. Um, it's got some wonderful harmonies in it, and it's a beautiful melody. And um, you know what a what a pleasure it was to uh, talk to such a great Australian songwriter and performer. Fantastic. Yep, we'll, we'll bring you that in the next edition of uh, Life of Brian Mannix. That is the podcast. Uh, don't forget mercots.edu.au uh, 1-300-555-576 is their number. Uh, it's, that, uh, it's a terrific time to kind of take stock of uh, where you're at with uh, with your driving, with your, maybe with your business uh, and you've got drivers who work for you. might be time uh, to put them through a, a re-schooling and uh, to uh, just uh, upskill. Everyone's upskilling a whole lot of their uh, sort of areas at the moment so it might be one that, uh, that you might want to take advantage of. Mercot edu.au Now, you've got about another 11 and a half kilometres to walk uh, for the rest of today, Brian, so you better get busy. All right, mate. I've got my new runners because the other ones wore out, but I'll oh, just go and do... Geez. Yep. Well, you know, a they, pair of sneakers as well. Done well. I'll tell you what I find. If, if your footpath's a bit crooked, you Ooh. know, sort of going diagonally, you, you end up with a bit of sciatica in your, in your leg. Oh, yeah. Leg. Yeah, it's no good. Try and find the flat footpaths, I've yeah, found. The- 
The small part of your back, that bottom part of your back, yep. uh, really feels that. Well, take care, Brian. Walk on your hands. <laughs> I'll walk on water. <laughs> <laughs> well, there have been times when you thought you could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Naughty boy, this Brian. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> well, uh, we'll talk to you on the next edition of the Life of uh, Brian Mannix. That is the podcast. Thanks to Murcotts, and it'll be Colin Hay. Thanks, Kev. Good on you, mate. Richard, stop it. I'm tired. It's a